We prayed together this morning asking that uh, God's kingdom would come and His will would be done. What that means and what we've seen that Jesus has, has, has taught us is that we are still awaiting the coming of the kingdom. In a very real way, there's aspects of the kingdom that are already here. Jesus has say, said the kingdom is in our midst. He is ruling and reigning on high now at the right hand of the Father. But we are still awaiting the coming of the kingdom and the return of the king. That means that as God's people, we need to understand and grow more in what does it look like for us to wait well and to be prepared for the coming of the King, for the coming of His kingdom. Uh, we've seen together as we've been working our way through the book of 1 Samuel that this book of the Old Testament has been given to God's people to do just that. To help us grow in our understanding of what it looks like to wait well and to be prepared for the coming of God's King. Uh, we have seen that the people wanted a King uh, of their own choosing so that they would be like the nations around them. They got what they wanted. They got what they asked and it was disastrous. We saw that God had not abandoned His people uh, he did not leave them to the rule and reign of Saul, but provided for them a king of his own choosing. But we've seen that it's been a long time coming for David's rule and his reign to be established. Uh, and so this morning, as we look and continue in the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 23. Uh, we are going to uh, see uh, how important it is for God's people as we await the coming of the King to have our hearts and our minds fixed on God's revealed will. It's absolutely necessary for us as His people to have our hearts and our minds fixed on His revealed will as we wait for the coming of our King. So, if you would, give your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, this is on page 245 if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats. We are going to go through the whole uh, chapter together this morning. So please follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of Yahweh, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And Yahweh said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of Yahweh again, and Yahweh answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. 
Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Yahweh, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And Yahweh said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And Yahweh said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before Yahweh. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh on the hill of uh, Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and on our part, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by Yahweh, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has... Uh, seen him there, for it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with information. Then I shall go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come down, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that what we read this morning are not the mere words of men. They've not been made up. They aren't myth. They aren't legend. They are the very Word of God. We thank You, Holy Spirit, for Your preserving work that You have preserved for Your people today an accurate and reliable account of Your character, of Your commands, 
of your desires, of your grace and your mercy for us, we pray this morning that you would draw our hearts and give our minds to your word and to you as we encounter you in your scriptures. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the things I don't know if you noticed as we were reading through this passage, a lot of the the language that was repeated was one of David inquiring of God. And it talked about something called an ephod. Uh, This is important for us to get uh, the big point of what this passage is pointing us to. And so I just wanted to give you a little bit of an overview of that so you see where uh, this is coming from in the the scriptures. Uh, uh, In the Old Covenant... Uh, one of the ways that God, as he was uh, uh, revealing himself to his people and communicating his will to them, as he provided a means to do that, as the scriptures were developing uh, for the high priest, he wore uh, an ephod, this kind of vest. Uh, And in that ephod, it it contained uh, jewels that designated all of the tribes of Israel, but there was also a pocket that contained uh, something called the Urim and the Thummim. This is something that God gave the people in, uh, say, accounted for in the book of Exodus. And it was either two stones or two sticks or something uh, that God gave for his, the leaders and shepherds of his people a means by which he could inquire and seek God's will, his direction, when the people were to move in the wilderness, when they were at attack or not to attack. And that's what we see David doing here when he's inquiring and seeking God's will, is asking these questions of God, and God said, I will reveal myself to you through the use of these stones. It, it seems like what they did is they cast them out, and depending on the question that they asked, there was a way for them to determine whether the answer from the Lord was yes or no. And this is something that God communicated and spoke to them. This is how I will reveal myself to you in this time period. We see it fall out of practice as we move through the Old Testament, as we see more emphasis placed on the prophets and the ongoing written revealed will of God. But we see the emphasis in this chapter is on the people of God seeking and responding to God as he reveals himself in his word to his people. Uh, We'll see that in contrast between David and Saul and their response. Uh, So uh, that's what we want to look at, is, is how as God's people we wait appropriately, we prepare for the coming of God's kingdom as we follow his king by giving our hearts and our minds to his revealed will. So kids, if you're following along, if you want to keep note of these words, you can, you can track because uh, of fears, fellowship, and unfaithfulness. Fears, fellowship, and unfaithfulness, because it's going to be in those areas that we see this passage pointing us to Well, we see we need to have our hearts and our minds fixed on God's word. First, in the midst of our fears. In the midst of our fears, as God's people, our hearts and our minds must be fixed upon the revealed will of God. Uh, Notice how this this comes up in verses 1 through 5. David hears that the Philistines are attacking uh, in Keilah, which is a, uh, a border town uh, within the, the, the tribe of Judah that the Philistines are, are attacking. 
And so what is David's response? He hears of this attack. Remember, he, is, he and his men are, have fled from Saul because of his, uh, his uh, attacking and pursuing David's life. And so it tells us in verse 2, Therefore David inquired of Yahweh. This is him. Remember, Abiathar is, uh, is with him. He's using the, uh, the Urim and the Thummim. And what does Yahweh say? He says, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But notice the fear and the response. God has revealed himself to his king, but the people are afraid to follow him and and listen to God's revealed will. Notice what it says. But David's men said to him, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? So what does David do? He goes back and seeks the revealed will of God to address and deal with the fears of his people, drawing the hearts and the minds of his people in the midst of their fears back to the revealed will of God. It says in verse 4, Then David inquired of Yahweh again. And Yahweh answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. In fact, we see that pattern happening throughout uh, the, the rest of the, uh, the chapter uh, in, this, uh, in what happens in Keilah and their movement out of that town. David goes back again, inquiring and seeking the will of God. What is his revealed will? And we see the men from this point on, they're following the lead of God's king. But we're seeing here what the passage is, is pointing and directing us to is uh, that, that, that as God is with David and preserving him, uh, the, the, the struggles of the people to, to be able to follow and give themselves up to these commands and this calling in these difficult and tough situations. Following God's anointed king will mean at times that those who have their allegiance with his king will be called to go into tough, scary, difficult situations. Ones that where we might have to risk our lives, our reputation, our stuff. And God is saying that when those fears arise and the difficulties come about and you're struggling and you're afraid to follow God's anointed king, what we must do is direct our hearts and our minds to God's revealed will. Here, we're seeing it play out with David, but remember what the Scriptures have shown us. It's going to be through David and his line that God ultimately brings the promised one, the anointed king who is going to redeem and restore all things and bring salvation and redemption to his people. Not just now, but forever. And those of you who've been uh, in the the men's and women's Bible study this summer, you, you've seen in the book of Hebrews, it says that long ago, God spoke, He communicated, He was revealing Himself through the prophets, but now, how has He spoken? How has He revealed Himself? It's through His Son. And so we have, as God's people today, 
the revealed will of God for us. Contained in the law, the prophets, the Psalms, and through Jesus' revelation to us through his authorized spokespersons, his apostles. But those commands, those callings, what Jesus is, how he's directing us as we seek to follow him, it can be, it can be scary. Jesus is calling us as his people. Remember, we've been redeemed and saved to communicate the good news of the message of Christ to those who don't know him. How many of you get afraid and fearful when called, invited, asked, presented with an opportunity to share the gospel with a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member? Jesus, your King, is calling you to follow Him in promoting and spreading the good news of the gospel. In our fear, how do we respond? Do we shy away and come back from that? Or do we go back and fix our hearts and our minds on His revealed will where our King says, all authority has been given to me. Go, because I'm with you. As you share and communicate the gospel, I will be with you. And as you communicate and speak the gospel, it is me speaking. And when you are rejected, they are rejecting me. In the midst of your fears, come back to what I have said and what I have revealed is true of my presence with you. Think about what it might mean as persecution increases in our country, or for the people of God who are suffering persecution around the world, right now there are people outside of my house, outside of our church, getting ready to tear it down. And if I profess faith in Christ, I will suffer. I will lose my life, potentially my, my family, What am I going to do in the midst of my fears? We need to direct our attention and our hearts back to the revealed will of God who tells us, just as we affirm this morning, we are more than conquerors in Christ. He is the victorious one who rules and reigns over all things. And even if we lose our life in this world, he has conquered and defeated death. And our king will return. His kingdom will be established And you will gain your life back and we will dwell and reign here forever. What about your concerns for your children? A desire to keep them protected and safe and guarded? But when does fear move us to seeking control and protection in our own strength Instead of going and resting in the power and the strength and the commitment that Jesus has and the love that he has for our children, are we entrusting our kids to him in light of his revealed will? Or are we resting and relying in ourselves and the plans and the structure that we can to be the savior and the protector and the guardian? Or are we listening and hearing the revealed will of our heavenly father who has said, I will be God to you and your children. I am the one who spoke all things into existence. Trust and rest and rely in me. 
Or maybe right now, God's revealed will, what it's communicating in the Scriptures, as God lays out what, uh, who we're supposed to marry and who is off-limits to marry. And you've encountered and seen that what God's revealed will is saying is that this relationship is not one that you should be in. But to end it is fearful and scary. Because that will mean that I'm alone. They were providing and caring for me. Now, I'm gonna, what am I going to do if, if I bring this relationship to an end? I'll be, I'll be lonely. I don't know if I'll be able to make it financially. In the midst of our fears, are we going back to the revealed will of God and trusting that His commands are good and that He is trustworthy and He's provided and cared for us with the body and with Himself? What are we doing as God's people? Do we direct our hearts and our minds in the midst of our fears to what He has said and revealed? Right now, where, what in your life are you most afraid of? What are you laying awake at night thinking about? Where are your anxieties rising up and are you paralyzed in fear to make a decision or move? What would it look like for you right now to direct your heart and your mind to what God has revealed in His Word and to see your fears and your anxieties calmed by the shepherding, good, true words that God has revealed to you in His Word. As we await for the coming of the kingdom and as we follow the King, we are going to be afraid, but we must direct our hearts and our minds to the revealed will of God in the midst of our fears. It's not just in the midst of our fears, it's also in the midst of our fellowship. Notice in verses 15 to 18, David is in a tough and difficult situation. Remember, Saul is pursuing him. In verse 15, it tells us, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness at Ziph, at Horesh. Notice who shows up. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh. Jonathan, David's brother in the Lord, recognizes one that he has deep fellowship and friendship with is suffering. He's in a a, a desperate situation and Jonathan sees and recognizes the need to go out and to pursue David in the midst of his struggle and his suffering. And notice what Jonathan does in this fellowship. He strengthened David's hand in God. He doesn't go out and say, David, you know what? I know you're afraid, but man, don't you remember? You took out an over nine foot tall giant. And it only took one stone. My dad, he's tall, but he's no near that tall. You can handle him. 
If it comes down to it, I know you can take him out. David, don't you remember how much victory you've had over uh, the Philistines? They sing songs about you, David. Why don't you start humming that song to yourself in the midst of your, uh, of your struggles? Saul has killed his thousands, and David, his ten thousands. Come on, David, you can do it. You're strong, you're a capable guy, you're a military strategist. You've been over my, my, my dad's guard for so long. Is that what Jonathan does? No. In his fellowship with David, his brother in the Lord, he does not direct David to himself. He does not direct David to his strengths. He does not direct David to more strategy. He directs David to the revealed will of God and strengthens David's hand in God. Notice what Jonathan says. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. My father, Saul my father also knows this. What does he do? He points David back to the revealed will of God. What, is David, what has God told David? You are going to be king. What has God told David? Saul will not defeat you. What has God shown? Jonathan will not be king. Here, in the midst of the, the fellowship that they have, Jonathan recognizes the need in the midst of that fellowship that what David needs most is for him to be directed, his heart and his mind, back to the revealed will of God because it's only then that he will find the strength that he needs. And it's not strength in himself or strength in anyone else. It is strength in God. What, what about you? Let's just start off personally. What do you need to hear right now in the depths of your struggles? Where are you feeling overwhelmed? Like you can't make it. That if this continues one more day, I'm going to be completely undone. You don't need anyone to come and tell you that you'll be able to do it. You're strong. I've seen you come through stuff like this before. Just keep trying on. We'll, just, we'll, we'll grunt through this together. That could be important to have others around you. What you desperately need is for someone to point you to the revealed will of God. Of the fact that, you know what? In your own strength, you're not going to be able to bear up. There is no hope if you are resting and relying on yourself. You need someone who is going to strengthen your hand in God and point you to your Savior, your Redeemer, your king, who has the strength to bear you up no matter what it is that you encounter. What about as you think about uh, in the fellowship and friendship that you have with, with non-believers, the struggles that they are facing and that they are uh, overwhelmed with? Think about the counsel that you give, the encouragement that you're seeking to give. Maybe they do need to seek out uh, better medical care. 
Maybe they do need to go see a counselor or a therapist, or uh, they need to, uh, to uh, work on a plan to, to work down some of the debt that's overwhelming them. All that is practically good help and advice. But you know what they need most? Jesus. They need to find their strength in God. Because all of those things might be uh, helpful in, in the moment. But in the long run, what do we as humans need? It is our God. And unless our counsel and our advice is pointing people to the need for Christ, the King who has suffered and died on their behalf, the only, as we profess this morning, the only mediator between God and man, our only hope we have is to look and hope and trust in Him. If we're relying on our own strength or we are counseling people to trust and rely on their self, we're doing them a disservice. Did you think about your brothers and sisters in Christ? What do they need to hear and be reminded of and their struggles with sin uh, and the pain uh, that they are experiencing right now? Is it not that they need to be pointed to the fact that they are loved by their Heavenly Father? That He has given His Son for them? That He will never abandon them? That His character is good. You may be confused right now. You might not understand what is going on. You may be angry at God. But let me point you right now to His goodness and to His grace. The call to, to repentance and hope and faith in Jesus. As the people of God, in the midst of our fellowship, as we think about how do people change? How do they grow? It's only in the hope and the power of the gospel. And so as we await for the coming of the king, like we see Jonathan doing here, like we see the New Testament unfolding for us, we must direct people in fellowship with us that their hearts and their minds would be directed to the revealed will of God. Our only hope and encouragement is going to be found in Christ and we will encounter Him in the revealed will of His Scriptures. So we've seen how as we wait for the King, we are to direct our hearts and our minds to His revealed will in the midst of our fears, to do the same thing in the midst of our fellowship. But lastly, we see that we are going to need to do that in the midst of our unfaithfulness. Do you, do you notice as Saul here he is in rebellion. Who Saul is on the throne presently, but who is the one that God has designated to be the king? It's David. Who is God rejected from being king? It's Saul. God's revealed will, which Saul knows about. Remember, that's what Jonathan said. You're going to be king, David. My father knows about this. But he's in rebellion against that. He sees the coming of God's king as a threat to his own kingdom, and so he is seeking to put an end to it. He is living unfaithfully before his God. But notice how he perceives what he's doing in the midst of his unfaithfulness. He does not, Saul, in the midst of his unfaithfulness, does not go back and see how consistent or inconsistent his living and his pursuits are in response to the revealed will of God. No, Saul 
has deceived himself. Notice what he says in verse 7. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Saul is perceiving the situation, and he thinks that God is enabling him and blessing him in the midst of his unfaithfulness, in the midst of his rebellion. He's interpreting the circumstances as, oh, God is for me in this situation. But notice what the Scriptures say. Look at the end of verse 14. David escapes from Saul and Keilah because David is actually seeking and inquiring the revealed will of God. Saul's just going based off of his own interpretation of the circumstances. And it says at the end of verse 14, And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Saul thinks that due to the circumstances he's experiencing, that this is evidence that I'm doing the right thing and trying to put an end to David. God has given him into my hand. But the Scriptures say, No, Saul, you're mistaken. God is not giving him into your hand. In fact, as Saul looks at and encourages the rebellion and unfaithfulness of others, he speaks God's blessing into their unfaithfulness in complete contradiction to the revealed will of God. Later, in, verse, in, chapter, in verses 19 and following, uh, David is fleed into the wilderness of Ziph, again, another region of Judah. The Ziphites reach out to Saul and say, we know where David is, and we'll help you find him. What is that? It's unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness to the revealed will of God. But notice what Saul says in verse 21. May you be blessed by Yahweh, for you have had compassion on me. Saul is so bold as to speak the blessing of God over those who are in persistent, unrepentant, unfaithfulness and sin of the revealed will of God. Notice how much this is in contrast to David, who constantly is going back and seeking How can I make sure I'm bringing my life into conformity with the revealed will of God? But here, Saul is doing the opposite. We, again, we've seen how the culmination of God's revelation of His character and of His person and of His will comes to us in Christ. The the King that we're waiting for, the one that David is pointing to, has revealed to us what? The depths of our sin. How big a problem is our sin and our unfaithfulness? Because of our unfaithfulness, we are separated from our God. He provides His Son to be the means by which Jesus' faithfulness is put before God in our account. And Jesus takes on Himself our sin, our unfaithfulness, our rebellion, and we're brought into the presence of our God. That's what the Scriptures speak of, of union with Christ. He is our covenant representative. Therefore, the Scriptures would go so far as to say, because Jesus is your King, because He is your representative, He, when He died, you died. You have been set free from the power and enslavement of sin and rebellion. You have been given new life because Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, because you are alive in Christ, 
do not present your members, your bodies, your lives as instruments of unfaithfulness, of unrighteousness. But because of what Jesus has done, live a life that demonstrates and reflects the righteousness, the godliness, the faithfulness, the holiness of your God. But how often are we tempted or do we see those who are professing to be followers of Jesus not bring in the midst of their unfaithfulness, they are quick to perceive their circumstances as God's blessing in the midst of their unfaithfulness. Or they're bold enough to speak blessing in the lives of others who are clearly in disobedience to God's revealed will. Think about uh, in our, our culture, in our context today. The scriptures are clear uh, that uh, sex is only to be undertaken by a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And only men and women can marry. Uh, but growing amongst those who would profess faith in Christ would be those who would see uh, pursuing a, a homosexual lifestyle would say that God is blessing their pursuit of that unfaithfulness. Or churches would be bold enough to speak God's blessing over those who would want to unite in marriage. Homosexual marriages or heterosexual marriages of those who have pursued divorce in ways that are not permissible in Scripture. Yet, instead of in the midst of that unfaithfulness, seeking to orient our hearts and our minds to the revealed will of God, we perceive our happiness. Do you know that you can be deceived and still be happy in the midst of your sin? Your emotional response is no indication of whether God is pleased with what you are doing. The scriptures show that. Saul is utterly excited when he hears where David is. But he's completely against the will of God. We must not look at our emotions, our hearts, our perception of our circumstances, but we must go back to the revealed will of God in the midst of our unfaithfulness. And what Jesus calls us to is repentance, faith, hope, and what he has done for us. Just this week, uh, Aaron already prayed for it, but the... Uh, the Supreme Court ruling that uh, says that there is no constitutional right to, uh, to abort uh, the life of a, of a baby. A, a church that would profess to be a believing church came out with a response to that decision. And what they announced in that response was that that decision was in error that it was contrary to how God has revealed himself, and they were speaking the blessing of God in, over those who would seek out abortions within the U.S. A church, so-called church, that would be bold enough to speak the blessing of God over something that the Scriptures explicitly and clearly say is contrary to what God has revealed. What, what we must do is when we find ourselves in living contrary to God's revealed will, is we must humble ourselves. 
We must say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. We must, when we're making decisions, come before our God and say, you know what? I know I am prone to being deceived. Right now, I am, I am wanting to do this. Would you please make it clear to me if what I am wanting is consistent with your desires? And that we go and seek the Scriptures, not following our heart, not following our desires, not following what we perceive would make us most happy, but how do I glorify and honor my King who has given His life to redeem and save me? Uh, this is something as, as God's people that it's going to become more important for us to be discerning in the midst of our culture of materialism in the U.S., of uh, the, the polarization that continues to happen, of things that people from both, uh, that people would claim Jesus uh, uh, calling and blessing over completely contradictory perspectives in our communities. We need to be those who our ultimate standard for how we evaluate how we're going to move forward and await the coming of our King must be consistent with the Word of God that has been revealed to us. How do you know that you can trust Him? How do you know that you can trust these commands and this calling? When Jesus this morning, He's already called us out and said, in the midst of your sin and your unfaithfulness and your rebellion, turn from it. Come to Me. What will you find? Grace. What will you find? Mercy. What will you find? My proclamation and declaration to you that my forgiveness is for you. Go back to what the Scriptures have said. You will find forgiveness in Jesus when you seek and come to Him in, your, in His mercy. That's what the, the revealed will of God says. If right now you are living and persisting in unrepentant sin and unfaithfulness, hear the mercy and grace of your God who calls you and points you back to His revealed will. Why have I redeemed you? Why have I saved you? It's because I love you. My best interests are for you. And you will only experience the fullness of life if it is lived in conformity with my revealed will. Submit yourself to what I'm calling you to in my word. Trust me in the midst of your fears. Look to my revealed will. And in your fellowship and your interactions with other believers, point one another to my revealed will. And in your unfaithfulness, seek me and seek to bring your life in conformity to my revealed will because I've given my life to redeem and save you that you might be set free from your sin and find life in its fullness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you that uh, we can find forgiveness in Jesus. We confess all too often uh, we're more concerned with what our will and our perspective is uh, 
Give us ears to hear you as you speak. Give us hearts that would respond rightly to who you're calling us to be as those who have been set free in Christ for righteousness. Give us the strength to follow and obey Jesus. For His glory we pray. Amen.